for him. Hogg had stopped believing in himself and lost his way. That's one of the reasons he is now sharing his story, in the hope that it'll inspire you to keep believing in your dreams too. Hogg's test captain, Ricky Ponting, once wrote, I can't stress how important blokes like Hoggy are to the psyche of the cricket team on tour. Sometimes, their off-field selflessness and good humour can be just as important for a team's progress as a hundred made in the park. When he learned of Ponting's tribute, tears welled in his eyes. His granddad always said that being a good team man was worth more than a load of trophies for individual performances. This is the story of the boy from the bush, a cricketer who stumbled over some big hurdles and went through some tough times. But it's also the tale of a passionate man who stuck at it and achieved what he set out to do. Play for Australia and wear the baggy green. Chapter 1. The World's Biggest Backyard Sue had enormous determination and a will to do well in anything she tried. Couple that with Greg, who was definitely the same. No wonder we had such a product in Bradley. Colin McNamara, Brad's first cricket coach. My first cricket recollection is sitting on our old green couch, watching the 1975-76 test series on our old black and white TV, and getting really upset that the West Indies were giving Australia such a hard time. I was four years old. I developed a taste for cricket as a toddler, wandering around the country grounds where Dad played, but that Perth test match took my interest to another level. My other memory from that time is of the Australian opening bats getting pummeled by the West Indian pace attack. I kept thinking to myself, how tough are these Australian batsmen? It didn't matter whether they were winning or losing. I was intrigued by the tactics of the match and the approach of the players. I could not have wished for a more extreme match to introduce me to test cricket. The first test, on a wet wicket in Brisbane, had been dominated by Greg Chappell's Australian team. But in Perth, that was reversed. The West Indian batsmen relished the pace and bounce of the whacker pitch and fearlessly took on the exceptional Australian bowling attack. Opening batsman Roy Fredericks was in a particularly courageous mood. He was not deterred by Jeff Thompson bowling the fastest ball then recorded, 99.68 miles per hour, and he bobbed, weaved, hooked, cut and drove his way into one of the best test centuries scored at the Wacker ground. Decades later, Fredericks' exceptional innings is still discussed, it's one of the few times the formidable Australian bowling attack of that era was tamed. It was clear what Fredericks's intentions were. The second ball he faced was a bouncer from Dennis Lilly, and it ended up in the crowd. The Australian bowlers also played into his hands. As Chappell later said, they were trying to knock his block off and bowl too short, and Fredericks responded with a cavalier batting. He scored his 169 runs off 145 balls, with 27 boundaries and a six. Clive Lloyd was also on song, and the Windies finished with 585 in their only innings at bat. Then Andy Roberts took seven second innings wickets, and the Perth test was over and done with, well before lunch on the fourth day. Even though Australia went on to win the next three test matches and dominate the series, the Perth debacle stuck in my memory for a long time. These big men from an unknown place seemed fearsome, mysterious. Seeing the power of the West Indian batting, and then the aggressive Roberts dismissing the top seven Australian batsmen, Rick McCosker, Alan Turner, the Chapel brothers, 
Ian Redpath, Rod Marsh and Gary Gilmore, left an indelible mark on me. After watching that West Indies test each day, I turned off the television, headed out to a concrete path in our backyard and pretended that I was playing the innings that would save Australia. I was the Australian captain, going out there to sort out my teammates and get on top of that Windies attack. I played all the shots and commentated everything to myself. I wanted nothing more than to emulate my heroes. To get to our place, you head two hours south of Perth, 150 kilometres or so along the Albany Highway. The rich green of the coast disappears when you leave the suburbs and head out over the hills, and after a stretch of bitumen that meanders through forest, large sprawling properties appear, dotted with tall gum trees. It's a landscape of wheat and sheep, as well as flat plains, hills and dust. The heat is dry, the sun is high and the light bright.